Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Before I start on the really big stuff, Ghislaine Maxwell was on British television, well, Rupert Murdoch's television, which not many people see, of course. But how does that work? You're serving time in a U.S. penitentiary for serious crimes against children, and you get to appear on TV. Well, she told a harrowing tale of the difficulties of being a vegan and being in an American prison, how boring the prison diet was. She told a harrowing tale uh, about the murder of her paramour, Jeffrey Epstein. But it seems the particular purpose of the interview given by Ghislaine Maxwell on Rupert Murdoch's TV was to exculpate Prince Andrew. Now, we're running a poll. Is the photo of Prince Andrew with Virginia Jouffre fake? You can vote on it on our Twitter handle, on my Twitter handle, on my YouTube channel, and on my Telegram channel, and on the YouTube community channel, and thousands of people already have. We're asking, was that photograph of Prince Andrew fake? Well, I've got to confess to you, I believe it is fake which makes it all the more surprising that Prince Andrew gave her 12 million British pounds, presumably supplied by Her Majesty the Queen, as was, God rest her soul, and therefore our money, British taxpayers' money, 12 million smackers, even though Prince Andrew says he never met the girl. So he walked up to a girl he'd never, ever met and gave her 12 million pounds rather than face her in court? Some mistake, surely. But anyway, on to the really big stuff. Germany has declared war on Russia. Don't take my word for it. Take the foreign minister of Germany's word for it. This very day in the Reichstag in Berlin, outside of which stand two Russian tanks from the last time that the Russians visited Berlin in earnest in May of 1945. They were placed there so as to warn revanchist German politicians that making war in Europe with the Iron Cross on your livery should never really be done again because the last time it led to the death of the best part of 100 million people around the world. It led to the Holocaust whose memorial we 
respect, and revere again this very day, in which six million Jewish people were systematically, industrially massacred in a genocide. It led to the massacre in the gas chambers of Roma, of disabled people, of communists and trade unionists. It led to the triggering of war throughout the world, this German fascism. Those tanks would appear to have lost their historical resonance because according to the German foreign minister, in a so-called socialist, so-called green government in Germany, literally declared war this afternoon. We are at war with Russia, she said. Just as an aside, as a matter of international law, that now would permit Russia to invade Germany, to bomb Germany, to bomb that Reichstag right now because the German government has declared it is at war with Russia. Well, of course, two can tangle. Luckily, Russia is unlikely at this point, at least, to do that. But the proximate reason for the foreign minister's extraordinary statement was that the German government had decided to send their leopard tanks, or panzers, they call them, in Germany, into the hands of the regime in Kiev to fight the Russians with. I don't know if they'll scrub off the Iron Cross, but whether they do or they don't, whether it's called a leopard now, as it was a tiger in the Second World War, it's a panzer. It's a German panzer rolling over the Ukrainian border to fight Russians. You feel me? You see where I'm going with this? Of course, militarily, these leopards will be snuffed out before you can say, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whose father fought alongside those panzers in the Second World War. But before you can say Arnold Schwarzenegger, these tanks will be wiped out. In fact, Russia would be legally entitled right now right now, to destroy those tanks before they even reach the Ukraine. But they probably will not. But as soon as they hit the earth, the, the Russian air superiority will snuff them out. They will be burning husks on the Ukrainian steppe very, very quickly. They will be militarily insignificant. There are a dozen of them or maybe two dozen. If you add in the ones that went to the Netherlands, that went to Poland, let's say there's 100 of them. Let's say there's 150 of them. Russia has 15,000 tanks, plus total air superiority over the battlefield. So the life expectancy of those tanks and the tank crews will be Ukrainian, of course. The EU is ready to fight to the last drop of blood of the last Ukrainian, but they will not be in the German tanks themselves, at least not at this point. 
they will be destroyed. But the sending of German tanks has certainly, I spoke to a Russian this very day, a woman I'd never met before, a woman in exile from Russia, a woman with absolutely no connection with the government in Moscow, a woman with absolutely no political support for the president of Russia. But she was sure as mad as hell at the fact that German armor is once again going to be fighting Russians because her grandfathers, you see, fought in the Great Patriotic War, which I remind you cost the lives of 26 million Russian citizens. 26 million Russian citizens were killed the last time that German armor crossed the Ukrainian border. Can you think of anything more incendiary? Anything more inflammatory? Can you think of anything more escalatory than sending German tanks to fight Russians? Are these people insane? But of course, this woman I spoke to today, who hasn't been in Russia for decades, is not untypical of what Russian public opinion will this evening be doing. A new war fervor will be sweeping Russia this evening. And all of the paraphernalia of the great patriotic war will now be seen everywhere on the streets, in the windows, in the hearts and minds of the Russian people. Are these Western leaders insane? Well, you've got to wonder about that. I don't mean Joe Biden. He is clearly insane, no longer in control of his faculties, either at the top or the bottom of his personage. But what about the others? What about little Macron? What about little soldier Schultz? What about little Rishi Sunak? Isn't it extraordinary that none of these people are any taller than Napoleon was? He once said that Russia was a colossus with feet of clay. And not long after he said it, the Russian army was in Paris. Yes, at the Champs-Élysées in 1814. The little men in charge of our national and international affairs and the soft in the head at the head of the war coalition of NATO led by the United States are leading us literally to disaster and nobody is doing anything to stop them. Hardly a voice in the Reichstag raised against it and I salute those few voices that did, hardly a voice in the French National Assembly and no voices at all in the British Parliament where another very little man is sending British tanks, not for the first time, of course, to fight the Russians. Churchill did it more than a hundred years ago, sent a hundred thousand British and Commonwealth soldiers, empire soldiers, 
they called them then, at least they were honest, to fight, to try and regime change the government in Moscow. But we are doing it all over again. Nine of them were sending. That'll make a big difference on the battlefield. Of course not. But the big man I want to turn to now, the big fat man, the big fat man that once watered the workers' beer from Downing Street, the big fat man, Boris Johnson, the big multi-millionaire public speaker who's just been revealed by the Sunday Times as having given the chairmanship of the BBC to a man who stood guarantor for a personal loan to Boris Johnson of £800,000, virtually a million-dollar loan, without anyone knowing about it, least of all in the BBC or in the British Parliament or in the British Civil Service in Whitehall or Her Majesty, none of them knew that this man had stood guarantor for Boris Johnson's loan of a million dollars. And eight weeks later, he gave him the chairmanship of the BBC. If that was happening in, I don't know, Ukraine, we'd be calling them one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. In fact, that's what we used to call the Ukraine before it became plucky little Ukraine to whom we should give all our money and all our weapons and maybe eventually all our life's blood. Boris Johnson was not facing the music in the British Parliament about his payola with the chairmanship of the BBC. He was in Kiev. Why was he in Kiev? How was he in Kiev? Who paid for him to go to Kiev? Whose interests was he serving in Kiev? What did he say and do in Kiev? None of us know that. But he was certainly given a red carpet welcome by little Zelensky, another little man, the former porn actor and comedian, now president of the Ukraine, posing there, little and large, with big fat Boris Johnson, what was Boris Johnson doing there? Who was he representing there? Who was he speaking for there? And what did he speak about? I labor this point because, of course, Boris Johnson was the man sent there by Joe Biden in May of last year to ensure that Zelensky did not conclude a peace agreement with Russia at the talks in Turkey, which Zelensky was then inclined to do. Was that what he was sent there for again? And who sent him? I think we have a right to know, don't we? After all, he is still, believe it or not, a serving member of the British Parliament. I think we have a right to know what is being done behind the scenes because the scuppering of that peace deal has had very grave consequences, not least for the 150,000 dead Ukrainian servicemen. 
150,000 dead. Add the maimed and add the wounded forever and add the mentally deranged as a result of the trauma that they have suffered, then the best part of half a million Ukrainian men have given their life's blood or their sanity or their limbs into this charnel house of this war of attrition, which has now been grinding for 11 months exactly this day. And every day that has passed since Boris Johnson scuppered those negotiations has made the price of an eventual settlement rise. Medvedev, the former president and former prime minister of Russia, now member of the National Security Council of Russia, added to the bill this very evening when he said soon the regime in Kiev will have no sea at all. And that's what I have been predicting now for months. Russia is now crushing the Ukrainian army and it is sweeping towards the sea. It will take not only all of the east of Ukraine, but all of the south of Ukraine. Western Ukraine will be a rump Kosovo-style NATO encampment, entirely landlocked and entirely dependent on your taxpayer largesse for the rest of time, just like the NATO encampment of Kosovo torn from Serbia and installed as a proxy waiting to prod the Serbian people and their brotherly Russian allies whenever the time is right. This price is rising every day. As German generals are pointing out today, as the former prime minister of Japan pointed out today, when he said, is it wise, is it really wise to be investing all this in the war in Ukraine, which it is inconceivable that Russia could lose. Is it wise? You decide. Now, I'm talking to you right now, and I hope that you are listening, and that by the end of this week, the best part of a million people will have listened. But I couldn't do it from a platform in central London, even at the Ethical Society. Because here's what happens when you try to speak up in British democracy, in this freedom-loving, once-upon-a-time, freedom-fighting country of mine. Take a look at what I put out earlier this week. We'll come back to it later on because I've got to go to one of the most important of all our American guests. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now it says here on my menu that my next guest is a journalist, writer and activist, which is like saying that Messi is a footballer. My next guest should be the Secretary of State of the United States, maybe even the President. But he's on the mother of all talk shows for tonight. That is the main thing. He is the one and only Chris Hedges. Chris, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Great to see you again. This feels like a portentous moment, doesn't it? Yeah, and a frightening one, uh, which these people don't have any more uh, understanding of where they're headed or what they're doing than they did in Afghanistan, Iraq, or anywhere else. It's short-term weapons procurement. Uh, It is uh, this kind of lust to degrade, if they can, the Russian military. I don't know if they still hold out hopes of overthrowing Putin by their own admission. This war is going to be a long uh, and bloody war of attrition. That uh, is quite uh, acceptable, of course, to the arms manufacturers like Raytheon and and uh, Northrop Grumman, all of whom stocks, by the way, have rocketed up 35 uh, percent. They, they, they feasted off of the Afghan war. That war ended and they found another way to uh, essentially pilfer the state of staggering sums of money over 100 a billion dollars has now been uh, directed towards Ukraine uh, in humanitarian and military aid. That's we're we're getting close to double uh, the uh, annual budget of the State Department, which is sixty billion dollars. Uh, it, it's absolute folly. It's dangerous, of course, uh, because you're flirting with nuclear war, um, endless war. Well, endless wars has become the primary business of the. American empire is probably the one thing they're good at. They're not good at much else, uh, but it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think, you know, when we are essentially reduced to agreeing with Henry Kissinger as a voice of sanity, uh, you know we're all in trouble. Quite so. Uh, now, it's pretty evident to me that Germany did not want to do this, presumably because they're not entirely ignorant of uh, how this will resonate, not least in Russia but that they were bludgeoned and bullied and browbeaten and maybe bribed uh, into doing it. Uh, But they've done it now, and their foreign minister has effectively declared war on Russia today in in the Reichstag. Uh, And uh, the United States, according at least to the media, is going to send the Abrams tank. I'm not sure why. Didn't perform particularly well in Syria or in Iraq. Uh, But then I saw that Ukraine will actually have to pay for 
the Abrams right. tanks that the U.S. is sending, $400 million, which adds up to about $13 million per tank, which is quite a lot of money for smoking armor. Uh, but, of course, these are all escalatory steps, aren't they? And uh, run the risk of, well, the tanks didn't work. Maybe we'll need to send the aircraft next. Yeah, well, that has been the trajectory since the beginning of this conflict. It's been a constant ratcheting up Patriot missiles, more sophisticated uh, air defense uh, equipment, uh, etc. Um, you know, very sophisticated artillery pieces. Uh, th that has been the trajectory. And, and if this doesn't work, and I don't think it is going to work, uh, then you're right. They, they will reach into their basket to get uh, ever more lethal uh, forms of weaponry. Uh, and, and we're already seeing Ukrainian strikes inside Russia. I, I covered war. I spent 20 years as a war correspondent. I watched how these conflicts have a life of their own. You don't control them. They control you. They, they, you become essentially their puppet, their pawn. This is true in every war. Uh, I won't go into all the details in the Middle East, but, uh, you know, where we end up, you, and, and, and the longer you're there, uh, the more the kind of, uh, you know, ridiculous contradictions uh, are essentially embraced. I mean, if you remember, we went into Syria to overthrow Bashar al-Assad. Uh, then we armed $500 million to, quote unquote, the moderate rebels. Then we got frightened. So we started bombing the people we'd armed, essentially becoming Assad's de facto air force. I mean, this is this is what happens the longer these conflicts go on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, G German reluctance is, is are, I think, twofold. One, uh, as you correctly pointed out, it, it, it comes very close to a de facto declaration of war. But, of course, this is a U.S. project. But there, Europe's paying the price. The U.K., German industry, inflation, soaring energy prices, everything else. They don't, they don't care. I mean, and, and you do see a certain amount of disquiet among NATO uh, members, because the, the 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 fundamental point to remember is that the U.S. has no plan. There is no uh, end. They they don't. This was also true in Afghanistan and Iraq. the 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 only goal is to perpetuate it. But they haven't thought about the consequences, and they haven't thought about how to terminate the conflict. Indeed, they don't want to terminate the conflict. You talk about buying these weapons. Remember that about forty percent, at least, of the money that is appropriated for Ukraine goes directly to the U.S. arms manufacturers. This is also true when we give foreign aid to Egypt, when we give foreign aid to Israel, $3 billion a year. A, a huge percentage of that is mandated to go towards U.S. weapons manufacturers, and they have to buy their weapons, whether it's the F-16 or anything else. And that's also true with uh, the aid, military aid for Ukraine. Eisenhower did warn us about this uh this uh, overweening power, even back then in the 1950s, of what he called the military-industrial complex. And it's become a truly gargantuan monster by now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and this is how late empires die, as Arnold Toneby pointed out. It's unchecked, unregulated, unaccountable militarism and military adventurism. Remember, the, the military is responsible, along with the political leadership, for just one 
military debacle after another, starting with Vietnam, whether it's Iraq, Syria, uh, Afghanistan, or anything else. Nobody's ever held accountable. Uh, you know, untold trillions of dollars. I don't know what the final figure, seven trillion. And then, of course, the the suffering on the part of innocents in Iraq, in, in Syria, in Libya, and everywhere else who are, to this day, are still paying the price. And look at Afghanistan. I mean, it's it's horrific. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the MPAR essentially uh, funnels all of its resources, 850 billion. That's, that's a rough figure. There's actually, we spend more on that when you uh, count Veterans Affairs and you count the nuclear weapons program, which is separate from the budget. You're close to a trillion dollars a year. Meanwhile, the United States is collapsing internally. Uh, and this is this, of course, replicates the dying days of any empire. The tragedy is that as we go down, we're bringing so many people with us. But the, but the Pentagon's unaccountable. The, it is a political power in and of itself that no one, not Bernie Sanders, no one can confront and anybody. The few brave politicians who get up and speak the truth to the war industry, like Dennis Kucinich, are a race. It was the Democratic Party. That he was in the House of Representatives. He didn't vote, never voted for a military appropriation bill, constantly called out the war industry, and the Democratic Party uh, redistrict his district to essentially drive him out of the House, which worked. And then when he ran last year for mayor of Cleveland, they pumped in, we don't know because it's dark money, but millions upon millions of money to defeat him. Uh, it, the only two national candidates for president that we have ever had since the end of World War II that have taken on the war industry, Henry Wallace, 1948, Roosevelt's former vice president, and George McGovern in 1972, were destroyed in a bipartisan coalition. As soon I knew McGovern. As soon as McGovern got the nomination, the hierarchy of the Democratic Party joined forces with the hierarchy of the Republican Party under Nixon uh, to make sure McGovern was uh, defeated in a landslide, as he was, with all, all the dirty tricks and everything else. So... The, the, the military industrial complex, which you're right, everyone should go back and listen to that farewell address by Eisenhower. It's, un, it's not only uncontrollable, but it's a political force at this point that, no, that any politician who attempts to confront, and we used to have a few decades ago figures like Proxmire and others in the Senate who at least call out waste or call out you know, redundant weapon systems or weapon systems that cost overruns or weapon systems, that's all gone. I mean, the, the, the last Pentagon budget, uh, the Congress voted to give uh, the, the, the Pentagon $45 uh, billion more than the Biden, uh, the Biden administration requested. It's just insane. Uh, and uh, and that's no. Uh, some people <laughs> say uh, that uh, we're being alarmist when we talk about nuclear war. I talked about it. You talked about it. Uh, but I just ask people to ponder this, Chris, and I'd like your view on it. It is ineluctable if if NATO fights Russia and is beginning to prevail. Russia will be existentially threatened and must inevitably use at least its battlefield, if not its intermediate nuclear forces. And ditto if the reverse happens. If NATO is fighting Russia and Russia is prevailing, then the 
hundreds of nuclear warheads now scattered all over Europe on American military bases would inevitably uh, be used. And once one nuclear weapon has been fired, inevitably a second at least, and maybe yeah. many more in both directions would have to be used. Yeah. Well, the danger is that now they've created what they call tactical nuclear weapons, which are low-yield nuclear weapons that uh, can devastate a city, but don't devastate uh, an area the size of uh, uh, that, that uh, you know, a, a, a full-blown nuclear uh, uh, missile would. Uh, and, and so you talk about how it becomes gradual, that there's a con kind of slow escalation in terms of the potency of the weapons that are deployed that would be the first step. But you're right. It doesn't that you don't control it. And, and people should go back and look how close we came during the Cuban Missile Crisis. In fact, we were probably saved from nuclear war by a Russian submarine captain uh, who, who didn't uh, take the bait. Uh, but we had Curtis LeMay, who was the head of the Air Command, pushing Johnson, uh, I mean, pushing Kennedy to bomb, just as in later in the Vietnam War, he was pushing Johnson to use nuclear weapons in North Vietnam. So uh, the, the, it's, and this, of course, we've had what the uh, scientists have just with the doomsday clock, you know, just pushed it closer and closer. You, 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 we are flirting with, uh, I mean, seriously, we are flirting with total annihilation. Um, it's an extremely dangerous game. Uh, but when I mentioned before that it's not thought out, they, the consequences are not thought out. I mean, these are people who created the conflict anyway by expanding NATO uh, up to Russia's borders. When Gorbachev, I was in Eastern Europe in 89, covering the revolutions, Gorbachev wanted to build a military and economic alliance with the United States and Europe. And so did Yeltsin, and people forget, so did Putin at the beginning. But if they didn't turn, Russia wasn't willing to be an enemy, they'd, they'd make Russia an enemy because they couldn't justify the billions upon billions in arms sales to Eastern Europe in these now 14 uh, countries in, in Eastern and Central Europe that have been in, uh, joined to NATO. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's extremely short-sighted. George Kennan, the great Sovietologist, correctly before he died, called the expansion of NATO beyond the borders of a unified Germany the greatest a diplomatic blunder in post-Cold War history. Uh, but again, that history is erased. I mean, you bring it up, but the mainstream doesn't bring it up. Uh, and, and you attempt to hold a public event to discuss these issues, and they do what they did to all of the great people, Keir Hardy and others in, in World War I, uh, who denounced the folly of the suicidal, collective suicidal folly of World War I, they're doing to you what they did to them, which is deny them a venue. Um, hopefully you won't end up, I think, Hardy, didn't they put him in prison finally? Well, uh, don't rule that out, Chris. Uh, the, <laughs> um, the, the situation, though, is a, it's a sign of weakness, isn't it? Uh, I was making the point in a video I'll show later. Uh, in, in the run-up to the Iraq War, I was on mainstream television and radio more or less every single day, because the mass media recognized that my point of view was shared by a significant number of people in Britain and 
they felt a duty, I know it sounds quaint now, uh, to at least give it house room, even if only to try and rubbish it. Uh, but they couldn't ignore it and didn't ignore it. But no one can now appear on mainstream television or radio or get a hearing in the press or, as you've rightly alluded, even get an indoor venue uh, without uh, being assailed and cancelled. This is not a sign of strength on the part of our rulers, is it? It's a sign of weakness. Well, yes, exactly, because I, I think they understand how mendacious and tenuous the justifications for this perpetuation of uh, endless war in the Ukraine is. And so uh, because they're aware of that, uh, any kind of critique becomes very threatening um, because they don't really have any arguments for the perpetuation of this war that I find rational or coherent. Uh, so, yes, they've become more draconian. I will say the difference between the UK and the United States, and I was very outspoken against the uh, calls to invade Iraq. I'd been the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times, spent seven years in the Middle East. I was completely uh, uh, blanked out. I could not get on any mainstream. And I was listening to these yahoos who couldn't find Iraq on a map. Uh, I'm also an Arabic speaker. Uh, you know, expound upon how the Ba'athists were going to greet us as liberators and democracy was going to be implanted in Baghdad and spread outwards across the Middle East and the oil revenues were going to pay for reconstruction and endless uh, stuff that was just non-reality based. It was a complete fantasy. Uh, so you are now going through essentially what uh, those of us who were informed uh, about the Middle East attempted to do uh, to block the, the Bush, well, it was a bipartisan uh, uh, invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is a sign of weakness, definitely a sign of weakness. And lastly, on that point, uh, sorry, I did say lastly, this really is lastly. Um, the same commentators, the same journalists, the same yeah. broadcasters, the same pundits, those that are still alive, that that gave us this tidal wave of guff in the run-up to the Iraq war and were proved entirely wrong. And you and I and our friends were proved entirely right. They're still going with the same guff over the war with Russia. Sure, because they're, they're essentially shills for the war industry. The war industry funds their think tanks, the war industry in some cases, in the United States, in some cases, owns the cable channels on which they appear. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. Look, I've been dealing with these people going back to El Salvador. Robert Kagan, Elliot Abrams were in the Reagan State Department. Their entire job was to discredit everything we as reporters were reporting on the ground. They never go away. It doesn't matter. They were behind the expansion of NATO. Uh, they were uh, the cheerleaders for, of course, or the debacles in the Middle East, the fiascos in the Middle East and, and Ukraine. Well, they serve their masters and they're well compensated for it. And they're never removed from their platforms because they are essentially puppets. Uh, they're the pimps of war uh, and they never go away. It doesn't matter how wrong they are, how idiotic they are. Um, they're always assured a voice uh, because they dance to the tune that these warmongers play. Well, 
what a state we're in. I do hope that we get to see each other again on the other side. But who knows, this may be our last goodbye. Chris Hedges, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Is the photo of Prince Andrew with Virginia Jouffre fake? A, yes, 23, no, 77, that's on the Twitter. On the YouTube, yes, 20%, no, 80%. On Telegram, yes, 17, no, 83. And on the YouTube community channel, yes, 19%, no, 81%. You sweating yet, Prince Andrew? David, in air, is on the line. Go ahead, David, it's Burns night. I hope you've had your haggis. I had my haggis last night. My wife's working tonight, so I got it last night. <laughs> but um, what, what I, I saw tonight, I, I listened to your, your introduction. You quoted a bit of Burns. Um, I noticed on the STV News tonight they had an item. There was a bun, they were having a Burns supper tonight for refugees in, I think it was Glasgow. What we were told there that, that, that they were telling us that Burns is with them and that Burns is fighting uh, for Ukraine. So I was just wondering, maybe Joe Biden, he might be expecting to see um, the Bard uh, skidding around in one of these new gem- German Panzers that they're getting or something. Um, but there's, there's a there's a Burns night in... Sign. Hi, there's a Burns night in Kiev tonight. Um, and I was just wondering if you thought maybe Zelensky might do the address to Haggis and the... Now he's got the, the low growl, the, the broken English. I could, I could just uh, picture him doing burns and that, the gravelly voice he's got. But what's concerning me is that people swallow that. This is more of the one-sided propaganda that we're constantly uh, fed. And I, I've got friends, what, even family, they just they see the headlines, they swallow it. And to me, that's concerning. It has been concerning right from the start of this, the, the, the conf- when the conflict blew up. In February last year, though, it's been going well, uh, for a lot longer than that. But I was just wondering, I thought, um, Burns, I, I, I don't make any apologies. Burns isn't, isn't really my thing, but I know he's very, he's very, very important to a lot of people, particularly here in air in Scotland and all, all around the world. He's been tarnished tonight with us, and I thought, there's nothing sacred. What's your take on that? Well, uh, I'm more of a Tommy Burns man than a Robert Burns man, but I'm absolutely certain that Burns, with his sympathy for the French Revolution, his opposition to uh, injustice and oppression, uh, man's inhumanity to man, man brothers uh, shall be across the world and so on, and of course the absolutely massive popularity of uh, Burns' work throughout the former Soviet Union, East Germany in particular, was a very, very big uh, hothouse of Burns' work. I'm absolutely certain uh, that uh, Rabbi Burns would not be lined up with with high-kicking uh, Zelensky. Uh, but, uh, of course, he has been tarnished uh, with this. But on the bigger issue that you uh, raised, David, you're, you're right. Look, well, there's a lot of sheep uh, in our country, in all countries, but uh, I'm sorry to say uh, in particular in our country. And it only takes one sheepdog to control a lot of sheep, and uh, there are a lot of sheepdogs 
in the, in the television industry, the radio, the newspapers, the, the mass media in general, the big tech companies and so on, a lot of sheepdogs. So they're obviously going to be able to round up uh, a lot of sheep, but in this case, they're rounding them up uh, onto what might be their final journey uh, on the truck to the charnel house. And uh, that's what's so uh, depressing, melancholy about it, uh, because this is not some, you know, some war against uh, what uh, Churchill would have called the fuzzy wuzzies. Uh, this is not a war uh, in the third world that can't hit us back that we're now involved in. This is not a war, a one-sided war, where we can punch hell out of the other side without any fear of retribution, of paying any real price, other than in the lives of our servicemen that we send there to do it. This is not a war against the Taliban. Uh, or against a broken-backed uh, Iraq under Saddam Hussein. This is a war against a hypersonically nuclear-armed superpower, which, if existentially threatened, will visit its nuclear armory on us and will destroy us into a smoking, radioactive heap of ash and a sky full of nuclear winter forever and ever. And that's what's truly disturbing about it, David, that uh, the sheep are ready to follow the shepherd. It's quite an interesting. A good friend of mine, James, often says, it's funny, the sheep are taught throughout their lives to beware of the big bad wolf, but it's the shepherd that actually eventually kills them. And uh, I'm afraid... Uh, that our people uh, are being led by the nose into what might be that, that final sheep pen. Thanks, David, for the call. Now, you heard uh, Chris Hedges and I earlier talking about what happened to our No to NATO, No to War rally, which was first cancelled by a Christian church. How the Pharisees rejoiced. Uh, and then we went secular. We booked the historic hall of the secular society, the ethical society in Red Lion Square, the most famous progressive fortress of any public space anywhere in London, where Jeremy Corbyn's mother and father first met and wooed. Here's what happened. You probably already know by now, but our No to NATO, No to War event in central London on 25th of February has been cancelled for the second time. The miscreant this time is Conway Hall in Red Lion Square, the so-called Ethical Society. They sent us an email of cancellation 15 minutes before making a public statement, and the two should be compared and contrasted. The wording of their public statement and the wording of their email to us show the ethical society to be, well, somewhat economical with the ethical actuality. They say 
in their letter to us, readily available, published by us, us online, that the unprecedented onslaught of intimidation, unprecedented by us in recent times, they say, was the reason that they have had to cancel. And so fascism triumphs. You would have thought that an ethical society would have felt, well, a moral compunction to stand up to what may, after all, be only a few hundred trolls with a few hundred accounts each, but they have not done so. They took a lot of money from us for the booking of Conway Hall. Obviously, all of that will have to be returned, but we'll be suing them in the small claims court for any other damages that we believe we can establish that we have suffered. For me personally, it's no skin off my nose. I have plenty of platforms reaching far more people than would fit into the Conway Hall, like this video, for example, which will be seen by many, many thousands of people. In any case, you know, my race is almost run. I'm confident about my place in things, about the fights I've fought, the words I've spoken and written, the stands that I have taken. But ponder this. At that meeting in Conway Hall, where to be speaking, two former British ambassadors, their excellencies, have been banned by the Ethical Society at Conway Hall. Two serving members of the European Parliament have been banned by the Ethical Society, Conway Hall. Two former British members of Parliament, with more than 40 years of service in the British Parliament between us, the Vice President of the Train Drivers Union, Aslef, Loki, the popular entertainer, and many, many others, have all been banned because of an unprecedented onslaught of intimidation by online trolls. And this is where it begins to concern you. Even if you don't support me, like me, you may hate me, but you have to understand this. This cancel culture will one day perhaps be visited on you, certainly perhaps on causes that you support. If you think this cancel culture stops with me, then you're making a very grave mistake. And you need to ask yourself, is this the Britain that we want to live in, where censorship and shadow banning and deplatforming and cancellation of public meetings becomes the norm? Is that what our fathers and grandfathers fought for? in the Second World War? Is that what we bled for? Is that what we stood for? Is that what we now stand for? Where people who disagree with our country's wars, disagree with the war alliances in which our country is in, are to be banned and silenced. And I was comparing this with what I experienced back in 2002 and 2003 in the run-up to the Iraq war. And it shows how much worse things have become. I was on television and radio almost every day in the run-up to the Iraq war and in its immediate aftermath. Not because the television companies liked what I had to say, but they recognized that what I was saying 
was something that was supported by a significant number of people in Britain. And they felt a duty, an obligation, in some cases in the BBC, an obligation by charter to reflect all the views that were present in a matter of public controversy in Britain. Compare that to today. Nobody who opposes NATO, nobody who demands an end to the Iraq war, the Ukraine war rather, nobody who demands the end of this endless pouring of weapons and petrol onto the flames in Ukraine can get a hearing. Not on TV, not on radio, not in the newspapers, and now not even in the halls of the ethical society in Red Lion Square. This shows that the state and its ideology is weaker than it was before. It could tolerate dissent and opposition, calling it democracy and freedom uh, in the past, but it cannot any longer do so. The old world is dying. It's Gramsci's birthday, after all. The new world is struggling to be born. We do live in the time of monsters. You've gone quietly into this good night. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly to you. You've gone quietly into this period in which dissent, in which disagreement can be criminalized, can be ostracized, can be deplatformed at any minute by big tech, by the government, or even at the behest of online trolling. We have lost this battle of Red Lion Square, but we will win the war. Of that, I am certain. Fascism will be defeated. And soon, it's just a pity that the British people will have had this time so little to do with it. I'm George Galloway. I'm no to NATO, no to war. It is a pity indeed, but the good news is we are joined as we could not be last week with my next guest, Laurie Spencer, who is an independent journalist, author and radio personality. We couldn't meet her last week because, well, she was in Oklahoma in the midst of a storm that knocked out all the power, but here, large as life, she joins us on the mother of all talk shows. Laurie, good to see you looking fabulous. Uh, we'll come to more contemporary issues uh, in a minute, but you and I have many things in common, and one of them is uh, a great love for uh, Jack Kennedy and a great uh, determination to get to the truth uh, about who killed Jack Kennedy, uh, because... Uh, well, we all have different reasons for loving him. Mine are oft repeated. I won't repeat them again now. But one thing I think can be broadly agreed is that everything started to go downhill after the nightmare on Elm Street and the murder of the American president, John F. Kennedy. So you're a That's right. real researcher, a serious student, uh, of what happened there. Are we supposed to just shrug and accept the now overwhelming likelihood that the American state itself murdered their own president? Does nobody think that's worth anything at all? 
I mean, that's how it feels to me. I mean, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson explicitly accused them uh, on Fox News and everybody just kind of shrugged, not least the president's own party, the so-called Democrats. Where do you stand on all that? What's really astonishing, George, is that after Tucker did that segment, we got no comment, no comment at all from the CIA. (laughs) His show reached out to Mike Pompeo. He reached out to the current CIA director for comment. Nothing. And they're still playing games with the files. You know, the JFK Records Act was passed by Congress overwhelmingly back in 1992. And that was because of Oliver Stone's picture, JFK, that caused such tremendous outrage that the government was still withholding files. And that was 30 years after the fact. Here we are 60 years after the fact. Those files were supposed to be declassified in full no later than October 26, 2017, back when Trump was president. Under the law, the president and solely the president has the power to declassify and release the files. Okay, so we've had two presidents now who've kicked this can further and further down the road. And here's what troubles me most, George, is that it's the president's job. The CIA shouldn't have a say in this. The FBI shouldn't have a say in this. It was the will of Congress and the will of the people that the president alone would have the power to declassify those documents. And instead, both presidents have caved to the intelligence community. Every time a deadline comes up for those files to be released, president gets a visit from the CIA director from the director of the FBI, and they say, well, we've got sources and methods, and you know, we're, we're just not ready to release those yet. And the president just takes orders from them. He says, oh, okay, so I'll push that down the road. It's astonishing. Maybe the, maybe the files are in a cardboard box behind a pretty little green Corvette <laughs> uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. That is, of course, a possibility. Uh, but the uh, fact maybe that we have for not released these files is, I mean, it tells you everything, doesn't it? What, what do it you does. think they've got to hide in those files? You know what they say, George, sometimes no comment is more incriminating than a comment. The fact that they're saying nothing should tell us everything we need to know. And what conclusion do we, uh, I mean... Jack Kennedy was overwhelmingly likely to be re-elected for a second term as uh, President of the United States. How different things might have been if he had been. Uh, He might even have been succeeded by his brother, Robert Kennedy. Uh, Mm. But they killed them both. That's right. This seems to me to be a turning point in American history. Before this happened in Dealey Plaza, you could credibly say that much of the world wanted to be an American, as the song in West Side Story said. But after it, America became the ugly 
America that we know today, didn't it? Exactly. And unfortunately, President Kennedy's successor, his chosen vice president, Lyndon Johnson, whom he had tremendous respect for and vice versa. Um, unfortunately, he reversed Kennedy's plans to go into Vietnam, you know, in October of 1963, President Kennedy made it very clear that he wanted to pull all U.S. personnel out of Vietnam by the end of 1965. He signed National Security Action Memorandum 263 and brought home the first thousand troops before Christmas. Um, unfortunately, Johnson immediately reversed that and within a year committed ground forces and air to the Vietnam War, and we all know what happened after that. Another thing that Kennedy planned to do in his second term, which I don't think many people are aware of, you know, Fidel Castro had gone to the Soviet Union in 1963. He made a much ballyhooed trip over there, and President Kennedy saw this, and I think, you know, he was already doing some back-channel negotiations with Castro, trying to find a rapprochement with the Cuban situation. But President Kennedy was uh, most likely planning his own trip to the Soviet Union in his second term, which would have been absolutely historic. Uh, the Cold War was starting to warm up in the final months of his presidency. He and Nikita Khrushchev were actually having a pretty good dialogue back and forth. I would I would almost go so far as to say that they were becoming friends. Khrushchev cried when President Kennedy died, you know. So had President Kennedy made that trip to Moscow, imagine how different the next 60 years could have been. Yeah, uh, we would have uh, never have lived through Russia Gate as we've been doing uh, all these years. <laughs> Just before we leave film, uh, the you mentioned uh, Oliver Stone's immaculate uh, work, JFK, and uh, and subsequent work. Um, we've got the Oscars coming up. Uh, can we expect a visit by Zelensky to the Oscars? Do you think what'll be the highlights? <laughs> I just can't wait for all that virtue signaling from the Hollywood elite about how much they love and support Ukraine. My God, George, did you hear the news today? I mean, Germany, Nazi Germany just declared war on Russia. What year is it? Where are we? Is what it could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Uh, and and yet the uh, over here in the United States, it's not our top story today. You'd think every newspaper really? would have the headline, World War III begins. Germany declares war on Russia. And people over here in the U.S. are just going about their day. It doesn't even register with them that World War III is underway. It's not something that's coming. It's not something that we're trying to prevent. It's too late. It's already begun. Are they waiting for a formal declaration? It is, uh, of extraordinary. Of course, it is, it, is, uh, it is historically the case that the American people uh, think that they are safe uh, with the oceans uh, apart, oceans away from 
the theatre of uh, battle. And of course, that has hitherto been true. But of not course, always, though. American we haven't lives forgotten were December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say that's not always the case. Uh, we still remember December seventh, nineteen forty-one, Pearl Harbor. That was when our, you know, that was when our illusions of not being touched by the world war were shattered. We haven't forgotten that. Yes, of I hope course we that's haven't. true. Uh, although Hawaii is uh, a moot point and uh, a long way mm -hmm. from uh, the United States the mainland. itself. But the, right. uh, yeah, um, yeah, you'll see I'm not all that keen on how the United States annexed uh, Hawaii, but leave that for another day. Um, <laughs> the, the, the reality is, if the war starts, it will be your sons and daughters nowadays that will be fighting it. Because, as I keep saying, I'm not sure it's fully understood in the United States, uh, Portugal isn't going to fight Russia. Neither is Spain or Greece or, or uh, the Netherlands or Belgium. Uh, it'll be thee and me. It'll be the United States and the United Kingdom. They will be the only people who are actually fighting Russia uh, in World War III. So uh, the U.S. will not be uh, clear of the carnage. And, of course, if it becomes, as seems to me inevitable, uh, a, a nuclear confrontation, then nobody in the world will be clear of that carnage. Indeed, we'll all be going into that good night. But that just doesn't seem to be grasped. In the United it's States, just like, it? yeah, it's just like President Kennedy said about his generals in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis when they wanted to use nuclear weapons. Uh, he said to some of his close advisors, he said, no one's going to be around to tell them they were wrong. And George, we're already involved. We've lost six Americans that I know of in this current conflict, just lost another former uh, Navy man a few days ago, last week. And as we speak, there are Ukrainian troops here on American soil, right here in Oklahoma, training at Fort Sill. I was going to say, they're in on, your very state. The they're in my state. And nobody told us they were coming until they were already here. Nobody asked the citizenry of Oklahoma if we wanted this, if this was safe or okay. So they're over here training on Patriot missile systems as we speak, George. And to my mind, that means our armed forces are involved, whether that's in a advisory capacity or a battlefield capacity, we are involved. And uh, I would think that Putin probably looks at it the same way as well. He should. I would think so, too. And, of course, advisors were what the first Americans in Vietnam were called. And uh, advisors, uh, as history shows us, are uh, constantly reinforced with more and more uh, lethal aid and then boots on the, on the ground. But those boots will not be uh, uncontested. I was making the point earlier with all due respect to Afghans and Iraqis, uh, Russia is not the Taliban. Uh, Russia is not uh, Saddam Hussein's broken-backed uh, regime in 2003. 
Russia is more than capable of fighting back. You know, the Taliban didn't have nuclear Lori, weapons. Uh, I, I love your work, uh, I, I, and now that Thank we've you. met, uh, I love you. How can people uh, follow you? How can they support you? You can find me on YouTube at Laurie Spencer, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Laurie Spencer. And uh, I just, I love you, George. I've loved you for 25 years. <laughs> and uh, as a matter of fact, oh, to get myself psyched up for this interview, I was uh, re-watching last night, and I've watched it many times. I watched your testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, back in, what was that, 2005? Um, yeah, it was just it was a good day. Beautiful. God, God, just beautiful. God gave me wings <laughs> that day. Uh, it's it, it's my sure best did. day so far, Laurie. But this one, meeting you on the mother of all talk shows, is up there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I encourage Thank everyone you. to follow Laurie on Twitter and to uh, look at her work on YouTube. It really is of the highest caliber. So tell me, uh, do you think that picture of Prince Andrew and Victoria Jufre is a fake? Yes or no? You can tell me on Twitter, on YouTube. I reached, finally, 230,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel this day. But, uh, in fact, 240,000, I'm reliably informed. I want to get to the quarter of a million mark this year. Tell me I'm wrong, and I can do it. Tell me that you have subscribed to my YouTube channel and you can vote uh, on that poll there or on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway or on the YouTube community poll. The YouTube comments are pouring in. John Pearson says, I do respect Chris Hedges. He has been in places that many would not have done. Thanks, George. Thank you, John. He is an immensely important figure. Monkey Boy says, when the U.S. shipped arms to Britain during World War II, the Germans targeted those ships. Uh, will there be another battle of the Atlantic? A little-known fact, Monkey Boy, is that the arms they were shipping us, we actually had to pay for, and we're still paying for, until 2007. Ernest Gibson in Alabama uh, Bernal Jabri in Ethiopia, Dagen Morningstar in East Anglia, Maria de Lourdes Oliveira in Portugal. Uh, greetings to all of you. Crowhawk says, the first draft of Ike's farewell speech spoke of the military-industrial-congressional complex, but the word congressional was removed, possibly too close to the truth. I just noticed that... Um, Nancy Pelosi sold a massive multi-million bundle of Google stocks before the rest of us knew that Congress was going to be cracking down on Google. In most countries, they'd call that insider trading. But in the United States, they merely applaud her perspicaciousness. Let me take a quick break. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Let's go to Tim in Tennessee, uh, who wants to talk about the war and the Iraq war reference. Go ahead, Tim. Yes. All right. So I'll answer the phone call to say that uh, the only thing that I really know about you is your opposition to the war in Iraq. All right. That's about it. Is that correct? Well, that's enough. Yes. Okay. And so your opposition to Christopher Hitchens' arguments about the freedom of Iraqi people. You think the, the Iraqi people were freed by mm-hmm. a million of them being killed? Sectarian okay. division deliberately sowed amongst them? Their economy yep. uh, raped by the powers that invaded and occupied them? Are you the yep. last man still standing that defends all that, Tim? No. In fact, I recognize the morally gray question of what to do when a tyrant rules a small area of land with an absolute fist. Do you remove him? Do you let him stay? Either way, that is imperialist. Either way. Do you sanction him? There's a third way, but it is still imperialist. Whether you do nothing or do a little or do it all, it is imperialist. No wonder you're so nervous and fragile with your arguments, Tim, because they are redolent of uh, Madeleine Albright now burning in the seventh circle of hell, if there is justice, who, when Leslie Stahl on ABC News put it to her, the over half a million Iraqi children had perished as a result of American sanctions? And did she think that the sanctions were therefore worth it? Madeleine Albright actually replied on television, her lips moving for everyone to see in eternity that it was a high price, but we think, she said, we think the price was worth it. Be gone, Tim, in Tennessee, you moral equivocator. I had a call from Glasgow, which would have made more sense, but it has uh, disappeared. I'm sure it will be back. Uh, Linda Petit gives £10 on the super chat. Liam Ibrahim uh, in Canada gives $6.99. Thanks, Liam. Uh, Darren Henry gives New Zealand dollars, $3.49. Number one fan gives 99 Sense, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, Tax Dodger gives two British pounds. I'm sure he's being ironic. Uh, Shirletso Motlogelwa gives Australian dollars 20. Thank you for that. Irene Stanulis gives 10 pounds. Is it true that the immigrants being homed on cruise ships and hotels around the country are actually UN soldiers? If so, For what reason? No, it's not true, Irene. David Fox gives five US dollars. 
sorry, Australian uh, dollars. Uh, Nick X Core 74 gives 10 British pounds. The UK used to be one of the beacons of the world regarding freedom and democracy. How things have changed, George. We must protect freedom of speech, human rights, and our civil liberties at all costs. Well, Nick, frankly, it was all just lipstick on a pig. And that lipstick is well and truly rubbed off now. And only the pig is visible. Robin Brack gives £1.79. Charlie O gives £1.79. Top show, Mr. G. Powerful speaker as always, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, the uh, calls are coming in and Kim is in Portland. And let's hear from Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Hello, cheers from Portland. Yeah, you know, it's okay. When I'm here, I tell people if they're flying over just to wave, no, don't bother stopping. There's so much strife on the ground here. There are a lot nicer places in the U.S., but I don't need to knock my own backyard. I'm very sorry to hear that, Kim. I'm sorry indeed. If it's any consolation, <laughs> it's not got a patch on London, the most uh, violent place uh, since Chicago during Prohibition. Go on, Kim. Cheers. Now, just uh, curious, uh, you know, curious what your stance is on uh, uh, aggression and appeasement. Yeah, go on. I can repeat it. Yeah, I'm curious what your stance is on aggression, on no, no, be aggression more specific. and no, be more appeasement. Whose aggression? Sure, who's aggression sure, and sure, who's sure, sure. So, so, so a conversation about obviously the war going on and aggression towards the country and appeasement, meaning do we just let say, hey, start negotiating now because Russia's taken land, appease them? Or do we draw a line in the sand? And I can say here in the United States... Well, it's where's your tin hat, across, Kim? Yeah, across the, have you yeah, got your tin hat? Kim, tin hat. have you no, got no, your no, tin, hat? tin hat? But I can say here in the U.S., dude, that we're very strongly behind what's right. And the political parties... As, of course, as we've always as they been are, very strongly gonna... uh, behind what's right. Of course, pipe down Portland. Of course, you've always been very strongly behind what's right. You were very strongly behind the murder of Patrice Lumumba. You were very strongly behind the massacre of millions of Vietnamese because, hey, it was right. You were very strongly behind the illegal murder of hundreds of thousands of Cambodians that you concealed even from your own people and Congress because, hey, it was right. You were very strongly behind the murder of Salvador Allende and tens of thousands of his supporters in Chile uh, under the military dictatorship of General Pinochet that you were very strongly behind because, hey, it was right. You were very strongly behind the murder of so many people in the Middle East over so many decades, but oh, so in particular, many, so many, so the many. invasion and occupation of Iraq, because, hey, it was right, you were very strongly behind the killing of a million people in Iraq, because, hey, it was right, you were very strongly behind the two decades of mass murder of people in Afghanistan, because, 
He, it was right. We're supposed to believe that you stand up for what is right. Who are you trying to kid, Yankee? Nobody believes you. Nobody believes that you ever stand up for coming. what is right. You backed, you backed the overthrow of the elected government in oh, Ukraine. It's president fleeing, it's parliament in flames, it's legislature legalizing the discrimination and outlawing of the language of a third of the people who lived and in eastern Ukraine. The then you home. put your weapons into Ukraine to prepare for the day that you would confront Russia using cool. Ukraine as a cat's paw. Not because it was right, but because you Here, wanted yes, to break up Russia and steal its wealth. You see, Kim, in Portland, tell Yankee, me, tell Doodle, me, Dandy, nobody believes you. Nobody watching this believes that you are up to any good in Ukraine or frankly anywhere else in really, the world. Not in like... the Straits of Taiwan, not in the South China Sea, not in the Pacific Ocean, not in the Middle East. Nobody believes that anything you do, you do because it's right. Be gone, you clown. Let's hear from Dale in Surrey, who wants to talk about the tanks. Go ahead, Dale. Oh, hi, George. Uh, nice to be on the show, as always. Um, yeah, just before I get to that Thank uh, you, my point, just, you're welcome. I just want to, um, before I get to that point, just let you know that disgusting, damaging, defamatory, uh, defamatory comments that were made on about you uh, on Twitter are still there. Uh, that one I engaged with, he rightly said, um, you know, should be sued for making such defamatory comments about you. Yeah, uh, although when I, uh, when I uh, threatened to sue him, I didn't realize that he was actually living in Ukraine and therefore way beyond the reach of justice. But if within the time period, he does publicly return uh, to the England that educated him, he'll definitely be hearing from my lawyers. Thank you, Dale. Yeah, the tanks. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the, the numbers are unbelievable. And they said, what is it, 31 Abram tanks and 14... Leopard tanks, I just want to, uh, you, you probably know about this, uh, maybe some of your viewers don't, but during um, Operation Barbarossa, uh, the fight for Stalingrad, I was watching a documentary recently where Hitler was shocked to find out that there were 35,000 tanks uh, during that period. So it shows you the capacity uh, that Russia has to mobilize when it needs to. Why do you think the people in the West, in Britain, in America still believe that sending a few hundred tanks is going to end up defeating Russia when it won't? Well, it's not even a few hundred, uh, Dale. It's barely a few dozen. And uh, you know what? There's no site in Britain, as Macaulay said, more repugnant than the British people in a moral uh, panic, in a, a, a bout of moral uh, virtue signaling, uh, to paraphrase. And... Uh, when I see on social media all these people who've become experts on tanks, I, I mean, it beggars belief. The number of people talking about tanks 
when they know nothing about them. I speak as a former Lance Bombardier Royal Artillery Battery to Army Cadet Force. I speak as a former cadet for the Royal Marines at Poole in Dorset. I speak as a member of parliament for nearly 30 years, taking a close interest in defence matters, including defence procurement. These clowns that have got the, the leopards are free trending on uh, uh, social media, on Twitter, would not know the front end of a tank from the back. And they certainly have no idea that 14 Leopard tanks isn't, doesn't even add up to a row of beans. And the Abrams tank even less because it's junk. Abrams tanks are junk. They will be cannon fodder for the Russian Air Force and the Russian artillery that will smash them into smithereens and... I could laugh at it, but of course, that will merely be a harbinger of the next escalation to come. Because they'll say, we got all excited about these tanks. We sent these tanks. The Russians destroyed all these tanks. What are we going to do next? What are we going to throw into the fire next? Dale, last word to you, my friend. Yeah, I just want to um, also just point out that uh, I'm really disappointed to hear that um, the Conway Hall venue was um, was removed. Uh, like you said, that before they gave in to intimidation from the cyber thugs. I, I do want to come, so I was just wondering uh, if you've got any venues lined up uh, so I can show my support. Uh, oh, yes, uh, I absolutely do, Dale, but you wouldn't expect me to declare it uh, here no. and now. Uh, the meeting oh. on the 25th of February, as Chris Williamson put it, will go ahead come hell or high water. Sorry to disappoint the uh, knuckle-dragging simian nafo types uh, who are not just listening tonight, but two of them have already called in. Thanks, Dale. Stephen is in Glasgow. Happy Burns Night, Stephen. Oh, very happy Burns Night, George. How are you, my friend? All good. Nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Hey, well, can I first start off saying... Uh, um, God blessings from my family to yours, my friends. I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I wanted to phone in on the uh, well, the conflict in Ukraine. Um, you had a caller, I don't recall exactly when, George. It might have been last Sunday, but he said something that stuck with me that kind of provoked me to phone in. And he said something along the lines of Russia has passed demilitarising Ukraine and is now demilitarising NATO. And with the developments today of the tanks being sent from Germany, America, the United Kingdom, France, etc., going there, I don't think it was their intention to do that, eh, the Russia that is, but if it was, it was strategically phenomenal because the amount of hardware we are sending to Ukraine, the amount of taxpayers' money we are spending there now, um, and amongst the cost of living crisis that we have back home, uh, you know, I know people that are using food banks and they're on very good money. And they are not happy with the fact that our tax is funding a war that we really shouldn't have anything to do with. All this hardware that's going to Ukraine, 
and that Russia, let's be quite frankly honest, are going to annihilate when it gets there because Ukraine don't have the personnel to one man them, two operate them, three are trying to use them. So the Russians will annihilate them. So it's a it's a waste of let's you know absolute billions of pounds, and it's going there because the American Empire is failing day by day by day. And as I say, I don't imagine that it was Russia's intention to demilitarise NATO, but it's a bonus for you know the special special military operation in that respect. And I think it's going well, to. Well, I'll tell you what, Stephen. Uh, that is such a brilliant call. Uh, I'm not going to try and uh, trumpet, as it were, by by adding to it, except in this regard. Uh, First of all, Russia never wanted this war. If the government of Ukraine had not been overthrown in 2014, none of this would be happening. If the first decision of the coup regime in Kiev had not been to outlaw the Russian language and culture spoken and practiced by one-third of their population, all living in the east of Ukraine, this would not be happening. But even then, Russia never recognized the breakaway republics, uh, which were formed by people who refused to recognize the overthrow of the government in Kiev in 2014. Uh, Russia never recognized them. There never were Russian forces. All the other lies that uh, so many people appear to believe, there were never any Russian forces. In eastern Ukraine, there was never any recognition uh, of these breakaway republics. And although Russia was not a party to the Minsk II agreements, it was very keen that they should be implemented. As it appeared, were the governments of Germany and France who signed the Minsk II agreements as guarantors, as were the Security Council of the United Nations, which adopted the Minsk II agreements. And if those Minsk II agreements had been honored and implemented, there would have been no war to talk about this evening. It would never have happened. But we now know from Merkel and Macron that there was never any intention of implementing the Minsk II agreements, they were, in Merkel's words, merely to buy time for the Ukraine to improve its military position with the full backing of the secret relationship between NATO and Ukraine throughout all these last eight years, now almost nine years. And so, even in April of last year, in Turkey, Russia was prepared to sign a peace agreement with Zelensky, and Zelensky was prepared to sign it, which would have ended this war on considerably better terms than it will now end on. Now it will be settled on the battlefield. There will be no negotiation about an end to this conflict. Without the complete regime change in Kiev and the complete demilitarizing of Ukraine, the kicking out of the very last NATO personnel 
or Western mercenary, the denazification of Ukraine. These are the minimum terms for the end of this conflict now. And that was ineluctable when the Boris Johnson scuppered peace talks were destroyed in April, May of last year. And as I quoted earlier, as Medvedev said today, soon the Kiev regime will have no sea at all. These are very portentous words. Russia is now determined to take the entire southern coast of Ukraine, to leave it landlocked and, de and uh, isolated uh, from uh, the hinterland of Europe because it will not allow uh, the Western Ukrainian state, as will then become, uh, to be uh, a base camp for uh, the NATO empire uh, threatening them. And why should they? They were promised that NATO would not extend one inch. These were the words used by the United States government to Gorbachev, the fool never got it copper bottomed and fastened, not one inch to the east of Germany. If the Soviet Union allows Germany to reunify and the Berlin Wall to fall, not one inch to the east has become 1,000 kilometers to the east. Russia will not accept that. It has been invaded too many times before along that very same corridor by the Swedes, by the French, by Napoleon, by Hitler. Never again. You know that phrase, Stephen, that we used to use about the Holocaust, about the Second World War, about Nazi Germany, about German revanchism, never again, you remember? Never again. Well, for the Russians, they meant it, even if the rest of us did not. Now, the poll has closed, uh, and it appears hardly anyone agrees with me and that the Prince Andrew Victoria Jouffre uh, <laughs> photograph is a fake. I believe that that photograph is a fake for a variety of reasons, which, as I say, makes all the more remarkable that Prince Andrew gave somebody he'd never met 12 million quid, uh, but uh, 5,612 people have voted, and they've voted, roughly speaking, 80-20, that they believe the picture is genuine. Tough luck, Andrew, I tried... You can start sweating now. More YouTube comments. Uh, thanks for these. David Harbron says, Tucker Carlson is Jackson Hinkle's dad. Now, that is a tantalizing observation because now that you mention it, there is somewhat of a facial resemblance. I'm calling for a DNA test. Jackson, sorry, mate. Syndicate says, Christia Freeland said, that Canada is totally committed to Ukraine for as long as it takes. Wish Freeland and the Liberals cared as much about Canadians as they do the fascists in Ukraine. Mind you, that, uh, what's his name? Fidel's son, uh, Trudeau. That Trudeau was getting Tokyo on the streets of Canada just the other night. He doesn't seem that popular in Canada. To me, maybe it's because he's giving all of Canada's 
money away to the Ukraine and risking Canadian blood in Ukraine. Stephen Cunningham says Anglo-Saxons grasping the edge of the cliff, trying to drag the rest over. Stephen, I couldn't put it better myself. Fran 1963 UK says cancelling venues is like burning books and history tells us what can happen next. Very well put, Fran. Kel N says happy Burns Night. GG, I had the happy misfortune to have been working in Stirling when some rather intoxicated Scotsman, surely not, decided I sit down so he can recite a poem by Mr. Robert Burns. I will never forget. I, I can feel you, Kel. I can feel you. Greg says, I live between Grand Forks Air Base and Mino AFB. I'll be able to see the mushroom cloud rising from two directions. When someone said, what do you do in the event of a nuclear attack? As someone else said, just get on a deck chair, sitting next to a beautiful woman with a beautiful glass of something and enjoy the last few seconds of the view. Uh, JP Rolls says JFK hated LBJ. On no account are you to take the words spoken by the vice president as representing the views of the president. A text sent to a foreign embassy before an LBJ visit, and uh, as well he might. Jack Plugman, great historic name, says White Helmets won an Oscar. Well, look, the road show uh, is the real show, not the Oscars. Although, is uh, the British comedian guy, what's his name again? Guy who caused mayhem the last time, is he doing it again? The real show is in Sunderland on Tuesday, the 7th of February. Uh, get along to the Sunderland mother of all talk shows, Roadshow. You might get interviewed and you might appear on the show, uh, on the uh, moats itself, on the television uh, in subsequent uh, editions. So there are still some tickets left. You can get them there. Make sure that you're there or be square. That's the Sunderland Roadshow on Tuesday, the 7th of February. Take your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend out for an early Valentine's. Come and see me and Gayatri in Sunderland. Why don't you? Back to the lines. Neil is in Edinburgh. Go ahead, Neil. Um, it was just on the... Uh the uh, the position of JFK and what I believe personally happened. And um, first of all, and um, yeah. contrary to your to your guest Laurie, um, JFK started the war in Vietnam. Um, a lot of people like to, yeah. to to pull that card straight out of the bag. You know, JFK was opposed. He was removing troops. JFK started that war and had the full intentions of going the whole nine yards with that war. Now, with regards to his assassination... But he did... Why did he withdraw a 1,000 troops uh, before Christmas in his uh, last year? But, well, they were military advisors. They weren't combat troops. Well, why did he withdraw them if he was determined because to they, 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 continue they, 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 to escalate I come the war? from a... Like yourself, I come from a military background. They'd done their job. Mm -hmm. So they were no longer needed. Uh, that sounds pretty tenuous to me, Neil. But anyway, go ahead. Everyone's uh, entitled anyway, to their own point yeah. of view. Go ahead. Um, so um, just moving on to what I believe personally happened to JFK. Um, JFK had made a lot of enemies within the CIA, etc., the military-industrial complex, etc. Um, however, one big enemy that he did make, but it was, it was never, ever made public, was... Um, David Ben-Gurion and he, 
he, John F. Kennedy opposed Israel getting the nuclear bomb, and he opposed it so furiously yes, yes. that Ben Gurion resigned over it. And RFK, Rob, Robert Kennedy, sorry, um, as the Attorney General, he gave the American Zionist Council 72 hours to register as a foreign agent. Um, and after JFK got killed, they just changed their name to APAC. Um, now, moving on to LBJ, his auntie was one of the founding members of the American Zionist Council, and he was also having an affair. And this is this is open information, you know, this isn't hidden away. It's only it's only new to people that just don't know it. And he was having an affair, an affair sorry, with a Mossad agent called Matilda Krim. Um, yeah, so... He, I'm sorry, John F. Kennedy also was going to he was going to honour the Palestinians' right of return. He was going to pump billions into Ireland, going back to his Catholic roots. Um, and with LBJ getting <laughs> sworn in, smiling on the plane on Air Force One, um, he gave us the USS Liberty, where 34 American sailors were murdered by Israelis who were strafing the lifeboats of this intelligence ship in the Mediterranean that was flying the American flag. And one of the pilots who got told to strafe the lifeboats, was even um, imprisoned for not doing so because he says, it's an American ship. Why are we, why are we you know, why are we attacking it? Um, and also, John F. Kennedy would never have allowed the USS Liberty to happen. He would never, ever have allowed the 1967 land grab because let's be honest, that's what it was. Elan um, um, Pape and uh, Miko Pelled, they've all um, exposed the documents how the 1967 land grab had been pre-planned because two weeks after the, the the NATO troops had been removed from the Sinai, that's when Israel attacked all of its neighbours. So it had been, it had been planned for ages. Now, with, with what happened in Dallas... Well, look, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've uh, educated us all, uh, Neil. Uh, not everything that you said I accept, uh, but given the hour, I don't have time to uh, argue with you. It's been a very interesting call from the capital of my country, where they are indeed celebrating uh, the great Robert Burns this evening. Let's take a last call. That's all we've got time for. It's Nick in Washington on World War Three. Well, that would be the last call, wouldn't it? Go ahead, Nick. Hi, George. I was listening to your show just as I was doing some organizing here in Washington, D.C. for Rage Against the War Machine. February 19th of the Lincoln Memorial here, our, our partner rally to your note of NATO. And I just had to speak to someone who understands the gravity of the situation that we're in. The tanks are one thing. The weapons are one thing. Like you said, those are going to be destroyed. But unbelievably more concerning is the fact that you have the German foreign minister saying that Germany is at war with Russia, that Germany has effectively declared war against Russia. Over the last few weeks, the last month, they have completely dropped the pretense of the idea that this was a proxy war, that it was to help the Ukrainians. They're openly saying now, the Ukrainian defense minister said it, that this is a, that they, they're, they're fighting a NATO war on behalf of NATO with NATO weapons, with NATO targeting, NATO logistics, NATO strategy. You know, the only thing is that, that the Ukrainians doing is dying by the tens of thousands. 
But now you have it even being said in a NATO country in Germany, of all places, Germany, saying that they are declaring war again in alliance with Nazis that this time are right on the border of Ukraine. It's truly unbelievable. Your last guest also said that this has been nowhere in the United States. That is completely true. Not a peep about this on the mainstream media. Nothing. And so we are slow walking into this is World War Three, but we are slow walking to a nuclear level of escalation. And it is absolutely unbelievable that it is not even a point of discussion in this country, in the United States. Enormously powerful, a howitzer from Nick in Washington, D.C. Nick, uh, tell people where and when they can join the rage against the war machine. Join us on February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. We need thousands and thousands and thousands of people to flood the National Mall and Washington, as people did during the Iraq War and the Vietnam War. After that, we are going to march to the White House and we are going to take our demands to end this war, not provide one more penny to Ukraine, directly to that demented warmonger in the White House, Joe Biden. So everyone, come and join us. Fantastic call, Nick. I'm grateful uh, that you made it. Uh, a final comment from Stephen Calder. Very powerful words. 25th of January, 1945. 78 years ago today, the Nazi death camp of Auschwitz was liberated by the Red Army. We have Russia to thank for saving us from fascism in Europe. Nothing could be more profound than that statement. Nothing could be more true than that statement. If not for the Red Army, as Churchill and uh, the, the British King George uh, voluminously said over and over again, if not for the Russian people and the other nationalities of the then USSR, uh, then Hitlerism and fascism of the axis of Hitler, Mussolini and Tojo in Japan would have prevailed. And fascism would today reign throughout the world. There would be no Jews in the world, none at all. All would have been genocidally annihilated. There would be no Slavs anywhere alive within reach of the Axis death machine. There would have been no dissent alive in the entirety of the world if not for the Russian people, the 26 million people that they sacrificed to defeat Hitler fascism, if not for Zhukov and the sacrifices of the Red Army in Berlin itself, where the Red Army lost hundreds of thousands of men in Berlin itself, at the end of the Second World War, in the fight to literally crush, to dust, to ash, the beast himself and his coterie in those final days in Berlin. If not for the Russian people, 
I would now be speaking to you in German, except I would not be speaking and you would not be listening. The stakes could not possibly be higher. The announcement today by the German foreign minister that Germany was at war with Russia could not possibly be more significant, more redolent of what happened in 1945. The stakes could not be higher. But at least in 1945, we all knew what the stakes were. In this case, hardly any of us know. Hardly anyone in Britain, in the United States, in other so-called Western countries, have heard any of these arguments. They have been willfully denied them. Those who make them, where they can be, have been literally banned and precluded from speaking or in my case, too big to literally close down, they have been censored and shadow banned and algorithmically strangled. And now, in the case of our rally on the 25th of February, systematically shut down by the, the kind of mindless thuggery that we have even been witness to this evening and who are responsible for the closure of our rally in London twice. But he who laughs last laughs loudest. Fascism will fail, will be defeated, and very soon, much sooner than most of these fools can even begin to imagine. Well, look, I've been George Galloway. This has been the mother of all talk shows. I wish I had more time to take more calls and to debate more with you, but I do not. But the good news is, God willing, I'll be back here on Sunday night at 7 p.m. UK time with the mothership, the mother of all talk shows. Why not join me? and bring another viewer with you. Good night.